Good morning, LC. If you weren't awake, I know you're what you woke up now. Everyone say, I pity the fool. Man, I'm so excited about this series as we glean some wisdom from the one and only Mr. T. It's going to be a great series. I mean, hey, sucker, right? As we talk about how we can learn some things and how we don't need to walk in life as fools, but we need to walk through life with wisdom. You know, I don't know about you, but I was a big Mr. T fan growing up, and so I've done a little research, got on his Wikipedia page, and learned a little bit about Mr. T. And so before we jump into the series, I want to tell you a snapshot of who he was and why we're taking some time to talk through Mr. T. He was born in Chicago in 1952, and his birth name was Lawrence. And so I think that's one of the reasons that he changed it to Mr. T. He said that when he was 18, he got sick of people calling him boy. His mom would call him boy. His dad would call his boy. People at school would say, hey, boy. And so he said he was going to change his name that forced people to address him with a title of respect, Mr. T. And so he, he labeled himself Mr. T. Uh, when he was about 20, he got a job at a nightclub as a bouncer, and that's when his whole persona began to blossom. Mr. T, he would throw people out of the nightclub and punch them and then take their gold necklace, and he would put their gold necklace on, and it would let everybody know, hey, I beat up so-and-so, so don't mess with me, I'm Mr. T. And so he started accumulating the necklaces, that's when he got the warrior mohawk and the feather earrings, and from there, he went from being a bouncer to being a bodyguard to the rich and famous. He was a bodyguard um, for models and millionaires and professional athletes. He was even a bodyguard for his pastor. His pastor would go and travel in preaching engagements, and he would sit on the front row. That would be like the greatest moment of my whole life, if I could have Pastor T to sit on the front row while I'm preaching. He did all of these uh, amazing things. He was a bodyguard for Muhammad Ali, Joe Fraser, Diana Ross, and even the king of pop, Michael Jackson. And so as his fame got to spread around and people started to know him, in the early 80s, he signed up uh, for NBC's America's Toughest Bouncer competition. It was like a, a prelude to the UFC. It was a tough man contest. And so he got on this television program and beat everybody up. And they put him in the cage, and he boxed with these other bouncers, and he won the contest. And at the end of that night, as he's on the TV shouting and screaming with his earrings and his necklace, there was a movie producer who was creating arguably the greatest movie franchise in all of history, Rocky, right? Sylvester Stallone is at home writing Rocky III, and he's thinking about who can play Clubber Lane, who can be my nemesis, and then who does he see on the TV? Hey, sucker, right? He sees Mr. T, and he says, this is Clubber Lane. So he calls Mr. T, they set up an arrangement, and then we see Mr. T as Clubber Lane, and it's here that we get his famous catchphrase for the first time. Check it out. No, I don't hate Balboa, but I pity the fool, and I will destroy any man who tries to take what I got. What's your prediction for the fight, then? Prediction? Yes, prediction. Pain. Pain. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. And so in that moment, Mr. T, his catchphrase became famous. He says, I don't hate Balboa, but I pity the fool. And so from becoming Clubber Lane, he then got his next on-screen opportunity with the A-Team. Any A-Team fans? And so as he's on the A-Team, he's driving around in his, van, in his van, kicking butt and taking names. If you don't know who the A-Team is, they are simply a crack commando unit that was sent to prison by the military for a crime they did not commit. 
And so if you had a problem, if you had a difficulty, you might be fortunate enough to hire the A-team. And so Mr. T, he got on that show, and his title, his name was B.A. Barakas. And B.A. stood for bad attitude, right? And so he became more a part of American culture, and we all got to know and fall in love with Mr. T. Now, a lot of us know Mr. T as a tough guy, as a guy who would beat people up, as a guy as Clubber Lane or as B.A. or as a guy who wore gold chains or a mohawk. But I dare say that Mr. T is a theologian. I dare say that Mr. T is a biblical scholar. I dare say that Mr. T is a man of immense wisdom because of his catchphrase, I pity the fool. You see, there's a lot of truth in that idea. Everyone say, I pity the fool. Now say it like Mr. T, I pity the fool. And so when he would utter that catchphrase, when he would say, I pity the fool, he wasn't saying that he was mad at the fool or angry at the fool or even wanted to beat up the fool. The word pity simply means to feel bad for. He was saying, I feel bad for the fool. He was saying that, that, there's, that I have sorrow in my heart for someone who is foolish. I even have compassion on the fool. And a fool isn't someone who's stupid. A fool isn't someone with a low IQ. A fool isn't someone without an education. A fool is someone who isn't walking in wisdom. So if we were to translate Mr. T's I pity the fool into something that we could understand a little more clear, it would be this. I pity the fool simply means I feel bad for you if you don't have wisdom. He's saying, I, don't, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you. I have pity for you because you are not walking in wisdom. And in this series, we're going to be talking about the power of wisdom and how we don't need to go through life foolish thinking that we already have all the answers and thinking that we already know everything that we need to know. But we need to look to the Word of God, which is the source of all wisdom. You see, what is wisdom? What is it? What is wisdom? Wisdom is a lot more than just knowledge. You see, wisdom and knowledge are two different things. Knowledge is an accumulation of information. If you go to school long enough, you'll accumulate a lot of information. If you work on a job long enough, you'll accumulate a lot of information. But knowledge and wisdom are very different things. Wisdom is application of that knowledge in the uncharted areas or the gray areas of life. Have you ever found yourself in a situation and you didn't know what to do? Oh, I'm the only person that ever didn't know what to do, right? Okay, you find yourself in a situation you don't know what to do. It's in that moment that you don't necessarily need knowledge, but you need wisdom. You need to understand how to apply the knowledge that you have to this certain circumstance. Sometimes we find ourselves in these gray areas. We don't know exactly what to do, and the Bible may not have a perfect sentence that explains that specific situation by name and detail, but it does have wisdom of how you can direct yourself to not be a fool. You know what I've learned is that there are a lot of educated fools in the world. Ever met one? They got more degrees than a thermometer, but they don't got no common sense in their head, right? And so what we need to do is we need to understand that it's not only about knowledge, it's about wisdom and obtaining that wisdom. And right now the world is flooded with knowledge. You can Google anything you want and you can gain knowledge. You can learn almost anything you want through just a few keystrokes. Even the Bible is more accessible than it's ever been, but yet the world is still in a dilemma. There's still a massive lack of wisdom all around us. It's because we don't only need knowledge, but we have to partner with a practical application of wisdom. You know, it's like, 
It's like knowing that a tomato is a fruit is knowledge. But knowing not to put a tomato in the fruit salad is wisdom. Right? You've got to know, okay, a tomato is a fruit. It grows on a vine, therefore it is a fruit. But if I cut it up and I mix it with uh, watermelon and bananas and some cantaloupe, that's going to taste kind of funky. That's the difference. A lot of people have knowledge but haven't yet tapped into wisdom applying that knowledge that they have obtained. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 10. It says this, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Now, when we read the word fear in the Bible, it doesn't mean that you're afraid of God. Ah! Like Monsters, Inc. with a monster jumps out of the closet, right? That's not what it means. It means a reverence, a respect, an honor, an um, understanding of his position. That when we understand who God is and his position, his authority, and that we respect him, when we respect the Lord, that's the foundation of wisdom. It goes on, knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge of the Holy One, that's the thing that turns into wisdom and good decision-making. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Knowledge that you get in school and you get through life experience. Knowledge plus understanding equals wisdom. I could be a cheerleader, right? <laughs> Knowledge plus defense, right? Knowledge plus understanding. When you get the understanding of what to do with the knowledge, it then turns into wisdom. But where does wisdom come from? The Word of God. Wisdom, the thing that happens after we have knowledge and understanding turns into wisdom, the source of all that is the Word of God. Look at what it says. For the Lord gives wisdom. It's from His mouth that comes knowledge and understanding. And so we have to get into this Word. We have to understand what God tells us wisdom is. I don't talk about politics a whole lot, uh, but here's what I think about some things. America does not have a money problem. We have a wisdom problem. We've got all kinds of money, but we're not being wise in how we're spending it. America, I don't believe, even has a race problem, but we have a wisdom problem. Because what we do is we have one racial episode, and we put that on the news. But we don't talk about how people from all different creeds and colors and nationalities are helping people in tragedy. We don't put all the different color of people in a boat helping each other on the news. We talk about the people that are fighting with each other. You know what that is? That's a lack of wisdom. It's because we're trying to be prodded on to be angry with each other. There's not a, we don't have a problem with the opinion of the left and opinion of the right. We have a problem that both sides are lacking wisdom. And if both sides, whatever side you sit on, would just gain some wisdom from the mouth of God, not their own experience. Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all. I'm helping me know. I'm making you nervous. That's okay. If, if everybody would instill God's word in their heart, it would help us in a whole lot of things. But in the same way that's true for our nation, it's true for us personally. It's true in our finances. Many times we don't have a financial problem. We have a wisdom problem. We have enough finances. It's just that we're not being wise with the finances that we have. It's not that you have a marriage problem. It's not that you have a relationship problem. It's that you have a wisdom problem. It's that you have to take your knowledge and your understanding and apply it to what's happening in your marriage, and then that will help you. Don't just jump ship, right? Gain wisdom. Say, God, give me wisdom. Help me in this situation. It's not that you have a parenting problem or you're a bad mom or you're a bad dad. It's not that your kid is crazy and can't learn. It's just that there's some wisdom that has to be instilled. 
There's some things we have to teach our kids about how to obey and why to obey. We have to instill wisdom in our family. That's why our daily prayer needs to be, God, give me wisdom. Our daily prayer needs to be, God, give me wisdom. I pray and ask God for wisdom constantly. You know why? Because I constantly don't know what to do. (laughs) I always find myself in dilemmas that I don't know what to do. Everything from if I'm here at the church and I'm talking with some of the staff about a department and I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, what do we do? I don't know. We've got so many kids. What do we do? God, give me wisdom. Guide me. Direct me. What do we do? Or if Rachel and I are in an argument, a conversation, right? And I don't know what to do. What's easy to do is only think, at, look at it through my own filter. But I have to say, God, you got to help me because I know my wife loves me. And so I don't understand what to do. So God, give me wisdom. Asking for wisdom needs to be our primary prayer every day. You know how else we know that? Solomon. In the Bible, there's a man named Solomon. He's the son of King David. Remember David, the guy who hit Goliath with a rock and killed him, right? His son was Solomon, who became the king of Israel. And God showed up to Solomon one day and told Solomon that he would grant him any wish. It's amazing. Anything he asked, God would grant. And Solomon asked for wisdom. God gave it to him. Look at what it says in 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 5, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask for it, and I will give it to you. Whatever you want. It's in this moment that the genie came out of the bottle, right? The genie pops out of the bottle. It says, I'm a genie in a bottle, baby, right? God's saying, Hey, I'm a genie. Ask me anything you want. A little Christina reference, right? Ask me anything you want, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless you with whatever you want. Solomon, he could have asked for anything. He could have asked for power or money or riches. He could have asked for anything, but he asked for wisdom. Look at what it says. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon's response is, Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. And because he asks for wisdom, God gives him everything he didn't ask for, but his heart would have desired. It says this in verse 10. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth, remember those two things. Because you didn't ask for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will, I will give you a wise and understanding heart as no one else has ever had. And I will also give you what you did not ask for. I will also give you what you did not ask for. Now, I don't have time to preach this, but I'd get really excited about it, that we serve an also God. That sometimes you ask God for something, but he loves us so much, he gives us something we didn't even ask for, but he knows that we desire. We serve an also God, but I don't have time. And so, I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. So he didn't ask for long life or wealth. He didn't ask for riches and fame, but yet because he asked for wisdom, all those things come along. It says, no other king in all the world will compare to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me, God says, and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, you will have a long life. And after this, Solomon becomes the Yoda of the Bible. He becomes the guy that people go to when they have a question, when they need wisdom. And he's got all these little nuggets of truth that he drops on everybody around him. And he writes the majority of Proverbs in the Bible. It goes on in chapter 4, verse 29, and it says this, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sands of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people in the east and greater than all of the wisdom in Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. 
And I put dot, dot, dot here because in the Bible, there's like a list of a bunch of dudes. And so Solomon listed like the most smart, the smartest guys in all the world. And he was like, I'm smarter than all these scrubs too. It's awesome. He was poking fun at all of them, right? And, he, and it says, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedars of Lebanon, this giant tree, all the way down to the hyssop that grows out of the wall, little moss that grew out of the wall. It says he also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. This guy was a genius, empowered by God to not only have knowledge, but to have understanding. And you want to know some great news? He wrote it all down in a book called Proverbs. He wrote this book to give to us so that we can have all of the wisdom that God bestowed upon him so that when we don't know what to do, we can turn to something that will tell us what to do. It's so good. And so we're launching a, another challenge today. In the book of Proverbs, there are 31 chapters. How many days are in October? 31. So here's what we're doing. Every day of October, we're challenging you to read one chapter of Proverbs every day. You can do it. I promise you can do it. And what I would want you to do is just stop with the one. Maybe read it again. Maybe find one verse that really sticks out to you. Write it on a note card. Put it in your pocket. Like, absorb that wisdom. Get it in your heart. So we're going to be launching not only the health challenge, but we're going to be launching a wisdom challenge as well. That we're instilling ourselves with wisdom so that we can grow in everything that God wants us to do. You know, Proverbs, it's kind of like the Bible's fortune cookies. It's one of the best things about a Chinese restaurant, right? You get a fortune cookie at the end. How many of you are like, okay, this is from God. This is from God. What's it say? This is something stupid, right? And, but the Bible is like God's fortune cookie. There are these little two-sentence concepts that are short, powerful statements that are easy for us to remember. They're memorable truths. You know why God put those in there? Because he knows that we're good at remembering short things. So I'm going I'm to prove it to you. Get ready. We're going to play a test. We're going to have a little game. I'm going to just say some things that we say all the time and prove to you how easy it is for you to put Proverbs in your heart. So I'm going to say the first half of a sentence, and I want full participation for everybody to say it after me. Everyone say, okay. All right, here we go. Say the second half. An apple a day, better safe than birds of a feather, don't judge a book, if you can't stand the heat, money doesn't grow, practice makes, you can't teach an old dog, better late than, the bigger they are, blood is thicker than, if you can't beat them, it takes two, no pain, there's no place, y'all are geniuses, right? Our brains are meant to remember these ideas. It's easy for us to get these in our heart. Now, I didn't send an email to the church and ask you to memorize all that stuff this week, right? It's just stuff that we know. And so Proverbs is so powerful because there's these bite-sized pieces that punch with wisdom. And when we get them in our heart and get them in our mind, it's something we can pull back from through the rest of our lives. They're written that way. They're written in two lines, the reason they're structured that way is so it's easy for us to digest, and they're painted with this strong imagery. Proverbs is full of all these images and all these illustrations. Remember how it says that Solomon talked about the trees and the animals and the 
waters and the earth and all these things. He did it because those were things that we see all the time. So I want to give you an example. This proverb is not what I'm preaching about. It's simply an illustration to what we're talking. It says this in Proverbs chapter 11, 22, to show you how Proverbs work. It says this, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. See the imagery? Like a golden ring. A golden ring is valuable. It's worth a lot of money. It's made of gold. You would put it in a drawer and polish it and keep it safe. And a pig snout is dirty and disgusting and eaten slop and only good for bacon, right? And so it's saying that like a golden ring in a pig snout, the second concept, is like a beautiful woman who has no discretion, right? If a woman is beautiful, she's valuable like the golden ring. And so if she shows no discretion, then she's living her life in a pig snout. And so what that is, is that's wisdom that I'll use someday when Lillian gets asked to go to prom by some guy and she wants to wear a dress that I don't approve of, right? I'm going to say, hey, baby, come here. Hey, sit down with me. i got to tell you something. See what the Bible says? It says like a golden ring in the snout of a pig is a beautiful woman. You're a beautiful girl with no discretion. And so, baby, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you live in a pig snout. So go put a sweater on, right? That's what I'm going to say. And so, see, the idea is, is that Solomon paints these word pictures for us that we can install in our lives on a daily basis. And he writes most of them in two lines. Two lines that would take three pages to explain. I could preach a whole sermon on that one proverb, right? And so there's all of this truth wrapped up in one idea. And as I've read the Proverbs, I've realized that for me, that wisdom lives in the gap between the two lines. And so when you're reading it this month on the Wisdom Challenge, what I want you to do is read the proverb and then insert yourself in the middle, right? I'm not a woman, but if I were, this is what I would do. I would say, uh, a golden ring uh, is, if you put a golden ring in a pig snout, okay, golden ring is valuable, pig snout is dirty, is like a woman who is without discretion. Okay, I'll put myself in the middle of that. How do I live my life? What do I do? How do I act to people around me? So you insert yourself into the middle of the proverb, and that's where wisdom comes from. And so there's proverbs about money and about health and about marriage and about parenting and about sex and about taking care of yourself and about joy and vitality. There's all of these things in proverbs that as you're reading it, when you find something that speaks to where you are, insert yourself into the middle and say, God, what are you speaking to me out of this idea? Okay, so today is October 1st, so that means we have to read chapter Okay, so I'm going to walk through the first nine verses of chapter one, and then today you guys can read the rest of chapter one on your own. It says this, I'm going to read it through one time, and then we're going to talk about it. Proverbs 1, verse 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the dis discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. Verse 7 is so good. The fear of the Lord, remember fear of God doesn't mean we're afraid of him, the respect. The respect of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching, for they are a garland to grace your head and a chain around your neck. So, these nine verses, they tell us what the Proverbs are for. First verse, uh, the Proverbs of Solomon, 
the son of David, king of Israel, right? That's who he is. Verse 2 and 3. Let me read it again. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, of practical application, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair. Wisdom is about making right decisions. Wisdom is the thing that helps us make right decisions in life. Wisdom helps us not mix the tomatoes in with the blueberries and the strawberries, right? It lets us know just because it's a fruit doesn't mean that it belongs. And so wisdom comes alongside and partners with us. Wisdom helps you know what is right when you don't know what to do. When you don't know what to do in your marriage, wisdom steps in. When you don't know what to do in your finances, wisdom can step in. When you don't know what to do when you want to punch your boss in the mouth at work, wisdom steps in and it helps you know what to do and how to lead yourself through that situation. You see, not seeing how things are isn't the good thing, but being able to lead through it is the positive thing. All of us, are, all of us know when our car isn't running right. We all know when our car doesn't work. That's why we take it to a mechanic, because they have some mechanical wisdom of how to fix it. And so it's not enough to know that life isn't working right. When life isn't working right, we have to install wisdom in our heart so that then we can fix the problem. That's some good stuff, y'all. So we can fix the problem uh, that's happening. Okay, let me keep going. It says this in verse 4. Forgiving prudence, which prudence is another word for wisdom or discernment. Forgiving wisdom for those who are simple. Simple is uh, like you're, you're, you're gullible. It's easy to become gullible. It's easy to not know what's good, what's bad, right? Forgiving wisdom to those that are gullible, knowledge and discretion to the young, and let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. It's beautiful in the scripture how it lays it out. There are two categories. There's the category of the young, so the Proverbs are for the young, but the Proverbs are also for the wise and discerning. And so you see, it's this idea that Proverbs are for people who just met Jesus. And so if you just met Jesus, if you've been saved for five minutes, you can still read Proverbs and get so much out of it. But if you've been a believer and following Jesus for 70 years, you might be a retired pastor in this place. We had one in our first service who I referenced. And he just told me this last week at Tuesday morning prayer. He said, Pastor Trustin, I read Proverbs every day. And it blew my mind. This guy has preached the gospel longer than I've even been alive. But yet he still reads Proverbs every day. Because it's not only for the young, but it's also for the wise. What other subject could you go to to buy a textbook for that the textbook would be used for the introductory class and the doctoral level? Only Proverbs. That it's applicable to us no matter where we are. It's easily digestible because it's pictures, it's imagery that we can understand. But it's also powerful to apply no matter what we're carrying in life. Verse 6, it says this. For understanding proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. That proverbs, it's full of parables and stories and word pictures and even riddles. And those things, they help us to understand their illustrations. Everyone say illustration. And an illustration is a powerful thing because it helps you digest the truth. An illustration is saying the tomato is a fruit, but wisdom, you know, let you know not put it in the fruit salad. That's, that's an illustration. It helps us get a picture of, oh, this is what we're talking about. And that's one of the ways that we need to lead our families and lead the people that follow us is we speak in parable and we speak in illustration. And guys, men, dads, our job is not only to speak the facts, but to speak why. We have to not only tell them what to do, but tell them how to do it. We have to unpack it. 
It's our job to help our children know how to think. One of the greatest gifts my dad ever gave me was the ability to think about what was next. We'd be working on a project, and before we were done on one area, he'd say, okay, what's next? What's the next thing we have to do? And what he was doing was instilling my brain how to think. He could have just said, do this, do this, do this, do this, but instead he was teaching me the process. And so dads, that's our job. It's not just to say what to do, but to teach how to think. You see, all throughout, and wives, the same thing. Don't get mad at me. Solomon packed great wisdom into two lines. <laughs> and so help us out. As men, we're logical. Like, we're logical, systematic thinkers. And so if you come to us and you want us to gain some, y'all are smart, ladies. You want us to gain some wisdom, boil it down just a little bit, give it to us in two sentences, and then I promise we'll do what you want us to do. We just don't understand with the 20-minute explanation. <laughs> Fellows are helping. I'm sweating up here. All right, they're helping. The guys are helping me. Okay. This is true because all throughout the Bible, we see great men of God use parable and speak in illustration. Solomon did it all throughout the Bible. Samson, remember Samson? He was a riddler. Samson would find himself in difficult situations and he would tell a riddle to the people. He said one time, out of the eater something to eat and out of the strong something sweet. He gave him the riddle. He was talking about a lion that had died and bees that had built a beehive in his carcass and he ate honey out of it. He was tricking them and he was using a riddle to, to navigate the situation. But you know the greatest illustrator in all of the Bible? Jesus. Jesus was the master illustrator. He had 42 parables that he told. Jesus was unbelievable. He'd go up to a crowd of people and he would say like, look at this vine. Look at this mustard seed. Look at this mountain. Look at this sheep. Look at this goat. Look at this body of water. Look at this farmer. Look at this fisherman. And then he would just walk away. And the people would be like, what is this dude talking about? What is he talking about? What is he talking about? And then they'd go, oh, and then their minds would explode because they would get it because he would speak so practically to these deep truths. Moms and dads, that's our job for our kids. Husbands, wives, that's your job to your spouse. As we talk to people about Jesus, that's our job to them. Jesus is not hard to understand. We're the ones that make it hard to understand because we try to look smart. But we need to just talk about it simply to people. So that's what it's saying uh, in verse 6. Verse 7, it goes on. It says, the fear of the Lord, remember fear isn't afraid, it's reverence and respect. The respect of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and illustration. This is the hinge pin for like the whole series, this concept, right? Because he's saying fools despise wisdom. I pity the fool. This is where Mr. T got it. I promise. This is where Mr. T got it. He didn't just make it up beating somebody up. I saw an interview. He's talking about it. It's out of the Bible. And so he's saying, I pity the fool. Solomon is saying that a fool is someone who despises wisdom and instruction. And so if, you're, if someone's speaking or you're, someone's talking to you and you're just turning off everything you say, it might be time to self-examine and say, am I open to learn what God is speaking to me? Verse 8, it says this. Listen. Everyone say listen. If you're willing to listen, you're willing to listen, that means you're humbling yourself to the one that's speaking to you. So when you read the Proverbs, you need to approach it humbly and listen to what God is saying. It says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Verse 9, they are garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. You see, Mr. T was a scholar because he understood that wisdom was the thing that adorned his neck. So when he put these gold chains on 
and wore them around, he was saying, I have something of value around my neck. And when we put on wisdom, it's the same thing as putting on a gold chain and saying, I have value. There's something in my head that's worth something. Look at what Proverbs 8, 19 says. It says, wisdom is better than fine gold. So in chapter 1, verse 9, it says that it's like a chain around your neck. And in uh, chapter 8, it says that it's better than fine gold. If Mr. T were here, he would say, wisdom is better than fine gold, fool. Put it on. Wrap yourself in wisdom. Gain the wisdom. Y'all didn't like that very much. Put the wisdom around your neck, right? Grow in wisdom. Allow God to speak to you, and you're going to grow and do great things. One of the thought, Proverbs chapter 3, it gives us this amazing description of who Proverbs is, or of who wisdom is. It says this, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she, who? See, ladies, ladies, you're considered wisdom in the Bible. We all know that women are wiser than men, right? We, we know that's true. In the Guys are like, oh, I'm not with you now, Pastor. Here's why. As men, uh, as men, in the Bible, when it refers to something masculine, it generally is speaking to objective truth. And guys, we're great with objective truth. But it refers to a woman, a feminine, as wisdom because women are great with subjective truth. They're great with the application side. And so it's saying that her, this woman, is the representation of wisdom. I think that's true. Who, do they, who, who is a girl's best friend? Who's man's best friend? That's what I'm saying right there. That's what I'm saying right there. Women have wisdom. They want diamonds, dudes. They just want a dog. You get a dog for free. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. Okay. Let me get reading. Uh, for she, wisdom, for she, wisdom is more profitable than silver, and it yields a better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Ladies, nothing you can desire can compare with wisdom. All the jewelry, all the clothes, all the stuff, none of that can compare with wisdom. Fellas, none of the square footage can compare with wisdom. None of the horsepower under the hood can compare with wisdom. It's saying that wisdom is supreme. It's the most important thing. And it goes on, it says this, long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. So it paints this picture that wisdom is a woman, and in her right hand is long life, and her left hand is riches and honor. So Aaron, Whitney, would you guys come and help me? Give it up for Pastor Whitney and Aaron. I need them to help me illustrate something. So Pastor Whitney, just put your hands out like this. Okay. So the Bible says that a woman is a representation of wisdom. And she said, that's right. And so in her right hand is a long life, and in her left hand is riches and honor, right? Now, so your wisdom, who does that make Aaron? That makes Aaron the fool. Okay, she said super cute. He's my best friend, I can say it. So Aaron represents us, right? He represents just everybody else. Okay, so sometimes we find ourselves in situations we don't know what to do. So you're Aaron, wisdom is Whitney. Let me keep going. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Okay. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Let me read it. So this is another portion of Scripture. Look what it says. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs you everything. Get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her. Everyone say embrace. And she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Who wears a crown? 
rich people that have some notoriety. And it says, listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. Okay? So long life, riches, and honor. And what does it say that we have to do? It says that cherish her and she will exalt you if you embrace her. Okay, Aaron, please embrace wisdom. You know how to do that? He's done that before? Okay. So Aaron is embracing wisdom, right? Now, the Bible, hey, hold on. Don't, yeah, come on, help me out. Get a room, y'all. Okay. I heard Aaron say, grab my butt. He said, grab my butt. Okay. <laughs> North of the border. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it says that she is wisdom and that we have to embrace wisdom. Stick with me. It says that in her right hand, she holds a long life. And in her left hand, she holds riches. What happens is, though, is that we pursue the hands and not the wisdom. Every person in life, you graduate from college, you're ready to take over the world. Who wants to be a millionaire, right? We want to be rich and famous. That's why reality TV even exists, right? It's because all of us, we want to pursue wealth. And so we pursue wealth, and then sometimes we pursue health. But what happens is, is we're forgetting the thing we're supposed to embrace. When you embrace someone, the hands come with you. Aaron's focus is on his wife, not on what she's carrying. And so what the Bible is telling us is embrace wisdom. Don't just chase God for what he carries. Chase God for who he is. Because when you get him, he'll bring all that's in his hands along. Thank you guys for helping me. Yeah, give it up for him. You see, we chase after the wrong thing. So many times we chase after the money and the position and the title. We chase after what wisdom holds in its left hand instead of pursuing wisdom. But God says that if we would embrace wisdom, just like Solomon. Remember what I said to remember about Solomon? He asked for wisdom. But then God said he gave him a long life, uh, fame, and wealth. That Those things that we want, they're, they come out of the funnel of wisdom if we would just pursue her first. And just while I'm at it, just to take a minute, if you noticed what was in what hand, the right hand all throughout Scripture is the hand of authority. Um, Jesus ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. There's a bunch of Scripture. I don't have time to go into it. But right hand is the hand of authority. And the Scripture says that in the right hand is a long life. And in the left hand is riches and honor. This is the hand of authority. But yet we spend so much time chasing riches. Y'all get what I'm going? We chase this thing, but what good is wealth without health? What good is all the money in the world if you die before you should? What good is it? We're supposed to pursue wisdom, and she comes with her authority of a long life, and then she also comes with wealth and power. And so what we have to pursue is the thing that God tells us is paramount, which is wisdom. Wisdom is important. So many people, we get it backwards, man. We get it backwards. We get it so backwards. We chase money and power, and then we chase uh, all the things and the cars and the house and the clothes and the status and the Facebook followers. And then we want to get in, sh we want to get in shape, not in health. We want a six-pack and big guns, sun's out, guns out, you know, curls for the girls. You know, we want the six-pack, the whole deal. And so we pursue that over health. And then somewhere down here is health. And then somewhere way down the list is God. And then way at the bottom of the God list is wisdom. 
But God said we have to pull a Missy Elliott and flip it and reverse it. And we have to put it on top. We have to pursue wisdom first. We have to pursue wisdom as the first thing, as the number one, as the capital thing. Because when you have wisdom, everything else just starts to fall into place. You've got to pursue wisdom first. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, another book that Solomon wrote, he tells us how through life he chased all of these things. How he obtained all of this stuff and he did all of these miraculous things. And I put them into four categories of what he did. He collected wealth, works, wine, and women. He had all the wealth. He had all the money that anybody could ever want. He's the wealthiest person to ever walk on the planet. He had all the works. He did great building projects and he conquered nations. He did all these works. He had all the wine, all the drink, all the luxuries of life. And he had all the women. He had everything that a man could ask for. But he said it's all worthless without wisdom. That we have to have wisdom to really be able to enjoy the things that God would have for us. I got one more thing uh, this morning. James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you feel away from God, if you ask God for wisdom, he is faithful and just to complete the work that he started in you. Remember, we throw me that bottle of water. If I were to uh, say that this bottle is full of magical water, I went to... Uh, climbed a mountain in Budapest and there's a stream coming down on the top of this. This is an illustration, right? And so I got this water out of this stream out of the top of the mountain in Budapest and I bottled it. And if you drink this water, it will add five years to your life. You would say, I'll buy it. Sell it to me. I want to add five years to my life. You would be excited. But then I told you that this same stream on a hillside in Budapest, if you drank directly from the stream, it would add 20 years to your life. You know what we would all be doing? Buying plane tickets, climbing a mountain with a Sherpa, and sticking our head down in the water and drinking from the fountain. You don't know why? Because it's always better from the source. I do my very best as your pastor to bottle truth so that when you come in on Sunday, I can hand you something that will add to your life. I do my very best. But when something is bottled down, it has to go through a conduit. And that's me. And I do the best that I can. But I'm nowhere near as good as the source, y'all. So my hope is that you don't only get the word of God in your heart through what I say. My hope is that you read what God has to say from himself. That you would dip your head in the stream and he would gulp up his truth. And I'm telling you, this will add to your life. I'm going to add a little. But this will change your life. And so this week through the, or this month through the wisdom challenge, take it. Get the word of God. Drink it in and watch what it does. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you tell us in James 1.5 that you would give us generously wisdom if we would simply ask. And God, over this month, I pray that you would speak to every person at Living Church that as we read your word, it would come alive that it would jump out to us, that the illustrations and the things that Solomon put in there would be truths that we could carry for the rest of our lives, that we could throw at situations that we don't know how to handle. Give us wisdom, Lord. In your name we all said, amen. Before we go this morning, I want to just take one minute. You know, God loves you more than you can imagine. 
And if you walked into this place and you're not in a right relationship with Jesus, he's up there saying, come home. I want to be close to you. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have, you have, all of us have messed up at some point. And that sin, it divided us from God, but that broke his heart. So God sent a door for us to walk through, and his name is Jesus. And if we would just walk through the door, that we would be in right relationship with God. And so years ago, I was lost and far away from the Lord, but I prayed and I said, God, forgive me my sins and come into my heart. Cleanse me from all my mistakes and make me new. And he did. So this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. We had two people in the first service ask Jesus in their heart for the first time. And so we want to give you that opportunity all across this room if you would close your eyes and bow your heads. If that's you and you would say, Pastor, you know, I came here today because I drove by and you had a picture of Mr. T outside and I thought, well, that was weird, so here I am. You'd say, I feel in worship God drawing me. I feel today the friendliness of the people. I feel God doing something in me. And I want God in my heart. I want him to forgive me of my sins. If that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand and look up at me. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray a prayer with you that you would be forgiven of your sins. If that's you, on the count of three, raise it up. One, two, three. If that's you this morning, I want to give you just one more moment. If you'd say, today is my day, I want to ask Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your love, that no matter what we've done, that no matter what's happened in our life, God, that you love us and you care for us and that you have a plan for us. Lord, all of us in this room are professing that we believe you and have accepted your love. So Lord, as we go out into the world this week, let us be shining lights at our homes, at our workplaces, at our schools. God, let us show your love of people so that they could come into a right relationship with you and be saved. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In your name, we all said, amen. Amen.